And thanks be to God for God's word. May his word become compass in our heart this morning as we dive in together. Today we are diving into the very concluding section of all we have been studying in this spring semester. But just before we dive in, a few housekeeping items here. This is a big chunk to bite through at once. So for the next couple of Sundays, actually, we will dive in. I will more focus on the first half of this section, and Pastor Bill will wrap us up in the second half. But since this is one unit, rather, one concluding affirmations section, there will be a lot of overlaps one another as well. Uh, that being said, John has written this letter to the church of Ephesus, modern-day Turkey. And in that church, there are many, many false influencers who are trying to lead believers astray from believing in faith. And those false teachers and influencers actually sounded really godly. In fact, they over-spiritualized everything. They are hyper-legalists. Because they over-spiritualized everything, it happened at the expense of actually physical things. They said only spiritual things matter. All physical things are bad. What does that slippery slope lead them to believe? Well, Jesus really isn't God. If physical things are bad, how can Jesus possibly take the form of a human? So these people over-spiritualized the legalist in the end, became anti-Christ, leading the believers astray from believing in the message of the gospel that eternal God has become the incarnate Son of God. All you believe in him, there is eternal life. So this letter specific is written to the group of believers. John is encouraging them, hold fast to this truth. Why does John keep exhorting us to believe it, know it? Because for believers, if you have been a believer for a while, sometimes it is very easy to lose faith. It is easy to even lose heart in the middle of all the life circumstances, isn't it? For sometimes some of us are just losing faith, sometimes by antichrist, false teachers. Sometimes we lose our heart just by the overwhelmed circumstances around us. God, what am I doing here, God? I don't know. It's just too much. Or sometimes if you have been a Christian for a while, you feel like you're just stuck. God, I love you, but why am I just stuck? Ah, oh, I don't even know. And you wander away. And sometimes you just feel like you don't even know what to do. You're prone to resignation. How long, oh Lord, how long? Help me. I'm losing my heart here. And John is just saying, no, 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 believe it, know it. See, I hope I knew this message when I was in high school. When I was in high school, I was in Korea, I attended a boarding school. Um, and I, my high school was an all-boys school. It was a prep school. So we studied a lot. The school was till 6 p.m. And after 6 p.m., we would eat dinner together. And 7 p.m. to 9 p.m., we would study in the school. And after 9 p.m., finally, we were done. So we walked back to the dorm. And I remember every night, our dorm was just about one minute and a half walk school to dorm. Every day, one minute and a half, I look up this guy walking to dorm. God, what am I doing? Is this all there is? I feel like I'm just going through the motion. I love you, but I don't even know what I'm doing. I thought it was just circumstantial. Oh, because high school is so tough. In college, I asked the same question. In seminary in Dallas, I realized I'm asking the very same question. 
When I came to Princeton, I asked the same question. And even today, sometimes my wandering heart is asking the same question. Oh, God, help me. I don't know whether I can make it. If you are there today, whatever the reason, the circumstance, they pull you away from holding fast the glorious truth, this message is for you. Apostle John, it's very one exhortation for you. Have confidence before the Lord. That is available for all who have trusted in Jesus Christ. Here in this section, John will give three reasons for Christian confidence that we can have. Then we will dive in that together. May the word of God does not just become merely intellectual gymnastic exercise, but may it really pierce to your heart because I need this message every day today. So today, three reasons for Christian confidence. First, it's because we have eternal life. Second, because we have prayer life. Third, because we have eternal security. John will lay that out in the first half of this portion. Eternal life, prayer life, and eternal security. Let's go one by one first. We can have this confidence before the Lord because we have this glorious eternal life promised to all who believe in Jesus. Read verse 13 with me. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This one verse has been the very message that Apostle John has been trying to say. Many scholars and theologians say that John had said all the things that he had said thus far in order to say this one singular message. Entire message of the letter of 1 John boils down to this one verse. People of God who believe in the name of Jesus know that you have eternal life. Every time John says, I write these things to you, we write these things to you, plus this Greek clause called hina clause, in, often it's translated so that or in order that, or sometimes that in order there was so that in English translation, it's omitted for sake of flow of the grammar structure, it's used three times. So there are three main purpose statements that John is writing. Very first sermon that we talked about, first John 1.4, we write this, Hina, to make our joys complete. For all who believe in this eternal God has become incarnate son of God. When you believe in him, this Christian joy is possible. And that joy must be shared, this eternal message to one another. So John first said, we write these things to you to make our joy complete. First purpose. And the very second purpose was written in the chapter 2 verse 1. I write this to you so that, Hina, you will not sin. Flee away from sin and temptation and hold fast to this glorious truth. And after Apostle John has marched us on with all sort of reasoning, he brings us down to this one singular message. I write these things to you, to all who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you know that you have this eternal life. To John, the word know, it's not just merely intellectually, oh, I know it, so be it. No, it's your conviction, the way you live your life. It's the deepest commitment of your soul. Why does John have to say all that? See, John is not writing this letter to the false teachers. What does John say? I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son. So John is writing this to the group of believers who has been fighting with their faith. 
but because so many over-spiritualized talks try to lure them away from this faith, hey, Jesus actually really isn't that son of God that you are thinking about. These, these people are losing their faith. So John is writing this to strengthen Christian believers who might be tempted to doubt the reality of their Christian experience and salvation and to give them their true faith in Jesus Christ one more time. Know that you have this eternal life. Even for the believers who have trusted in the crucified, risen Savior, these people are like, oh, do I really have eternal life? Sometimes doubt can creep within our heart, isn't it? But doubt is such a word in our circle as such a bad reputation. But actually, there's good doubts and bad doubts. A good doubt can propel you forward to eternal things. Bad doubt will peril you backward to ephemeral things. Let me talk about it. What is good doubt? We are talking about the letter of 1 John. So when you look at the, another letter that Apostle John has written, the Gospel of John, out of any four Gospels in the Gospel of John, he writes so much of Jesus' divinity, Jesus' claim of divinity. In John chapter 8, Jesus says that he is without sin. He said before, and he first talks about his holiness, sinlessness. And Jesus also says in John 8, hey, before Abraham, he doesn't say I was. Before Abraham, I am. Eternality of Jesus, who he is. Hey, and then Jesus says, if you know me, you know the Father. Jesus such claims that such divinity of himself, deity of Jesus Christ more than anywhere else. But after John writes such lofty claims of who Jesus is, do you know where is the one of the greatest confession of faith come from? In the one of the climax chapter in the entire book of John, John chapter 20, it comes from the lips of doubting Thomas out of all people. See, let me, as I said it, oftentimes we hear Apostle Thomas, it's, oh yeah, they're doubting Thomas who never really believed in God. Really, is that what it is? See, yes, Jesus confronts Apostle Thomas. Hey, those who are blessed more, who can really believe in me without even really seeing and touch me. Yet does Jesus stop Thomas from touching, allowing Thomas to touch him? No, Jesus allows Thomas to touch it's not that Thomas didn't believe in, but as the apostle, the one who has seen the risen Savior, he has to touch and verify this glorious truth. He's wrestling with his honest doubt in the presence of Jesus. And after he touches and sees Jesus, he does not just say, Jesus, you are a teacher. Jesus, you are a Lord. Jesus, you are a king. What does he say? He personifies that very faith himself even deeper down him. He said, John 20, 28, Thomas said to him, my Lord, my God. That honest doubt can propel you forward to eternal things. And historians, Christian traditions tells that Apostle Thomas carried this very message of the risen Savior outside of Rome, planted churches in India, and died as a martyr. This honest doubt, the, what we call examination, really thinking about who Jesus is, if I really have eternal life, would I live my ephemeral life, this temporal life, the way I live? When you have honest wrestle with doubt, it can propel you forward to eternal things. At the same time, there is also bad types of doubt. 
It's really not necessarily doubting itself, but it is the things that lead you to really doubt your faith in itself. First, what I call it is spiritual sluggardness. Oftentimes, we are all busy, aren't we? So rather than really thinking about eternal things, rather than thinking about what is the most important, we often spend our time taking care of all the immediate needs around us. Just immediate things that need to take care of day by day. That's all we think about. So we take care of good things at the expense of the best thing that we should spend our time in. See, you had good intention. You had a good heart to take care of whatever is lying before you. Our life is busy. We all get that. We live in the Northeast where things are busy and hustle, bustle. But as you're taking care of all the things in front of you at the expense of what is the most important eternal life, you soon look back, oh, what have I done? I've neglected the most important at the expense of good things. You had good intention, but the where you arrived is far different from where you wanted to go. So church, Andy Stanley once said, it is the direction, not your intention, that determines your destination. Meaning even if you had a good heart of taking care of daily chores before you, you forgot to go for what is the most important thinking and dwelling and living out what is the most important thing, this eternal life, that because you're so caught up in your daily agenda, chores, to-do list, your productivity, that in the end you've gone a complete different direction and realized, oh God, what have I done? I've taken care of so many good things at the expense of best thing that you have lied before me. Mary chose one good thing. What are you choosing today, Chelton? See, it is not that in itself it's bad. You had a good intention, but what path are you choosing today? Spiritual sluggardness that will eventually lead you to in the end of, oh man, I've lived a completely different life. Who am I now? That will cause you to doubt. Another type of bad doubt that will lead to that doubt is what I call a spiritual drift. Millennial, let me look directly to you. I don't mean to call you up, but I am doing it. The last research I read, there's no difference between Christians and non-Christian when it comes down to premarital sexual engagement. What I mean by that is this. You say with your confession of lips, I follow Jesus, I love him. But you, the way you live your life, you don't commit your whole self to the teaching of the word, but you have a selectivity belief. We live in hypersexualized culture. We live in sexual ambiguity culture. When you buy into that, you take a little bit of compromise one after one another, what stands contrast of the teaching of the word. You drift, and then you later find out, Again, it used, had good intention, but it's not the intention that determines your destination. It is the direction that determines your destination. You realize, oh, how far have I come? You are wandering. You don't even know where you stand before the Lord because you have compromised just so much in a way that you think, in a way that you live your life. So it is those kind of spiritual drift. Those are bad doubt. In the end, you are saying, I want to be the final authority of what is right and wrong. So rather than really treasuring what matters eternity, you're so focused on this ephemeral pleasure that causes you to drift away and then realize, oh man, I don't even know who I am anymore. What is the truth? The truth confused culture we live in today. Where are you? All who believe in the Son of God, do you really know that you have this eternal life? Live like it. Commit to this truth rather than just compromising, drifting it away. 
honest doubt will propel you forward. The careful examination, we have incredible, reasonable faith, will propel you forward like doubting Thomas. Bad reputation, but in the end, he died for the cause of Jesus. But this kind of bad doubt, it's an excuse really. Spiritual sluggardness, spiritual drift will make you wonder, who am I in the end? After 10 years, after a few months, you're like, what am I doing? Retirees, let me call you out here too today. You're not off the hook. You're very welcome. <laughs> Retirement does not mean that you retire from pursuing Jesus. Oftentimes you say, man, I've worked so hard, Jin. You have no idea how hard I worked. Now I just want to kick back and relax. But retirees, how wonderful would that be? If you really believe that you have eternal life, rather than cruising into your finish line, run hard, wrong hard, wrong out for Jesus. If you really believe that it's ephemeral life, it's in preparation of eternal life that is to come, then you run hard till the end with all the spare time you've got. This past Tuesday, we are gathering as a church and we are praying. And I was surprised. I caught myself saying this. God, I confess that the finite gin sometimes think and act like I'm infinite. God is the infinite. I am finite. But I sometimes live as if I got all the time in the world. But retirees, you know more than any of us that your remaining time, it's time to live for Jesus, really. Think for what is no, have conviction that you have this eternal life and live in light of the glorious truth, pursue Jesus. I don't think I can talk about this better than John Piper. Perhaps his most well-known sermon preached 21 years ago from today at the Passion Conference, most famously known as the Seashell Sermon. Perhaps some of you guys heard that. It's a rather lengthy quote, but hear what Piper says here. This is for you. He's talking to the college students, but I think this message is also for you, retirees. Piper says, You don't have to know a lot of things for your life to make a lasting difference in the world. You don't have to be smart or good-looking or from a good family. You just have to know a few basic, glorious, majestic obvious, unchanging, eternal things and be gripped by them and be willing to lay down your life for them. And he gives the com comparison of two life. Three weeks ago, he said he received a letter from Cameroon. We've got a news in our church that Ruby Eliasson and Laura Edwards were killed in Cameroon. Ruby, over 80, single all her life, a nurse, Pour the life out for one thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the sick and the poor in the hardest and most unreached places. Laura Edwards, a medical doctor in the Twin Cities and in her retirement, partnering up with Ruby, going from village to village in Cameron. When they were doing that, the brakes gives away over the cliff. They go and die. And Piper asked, is that a tragedy? Is that a tragedy? He says, no, it's not. They have run hard for Jesus, and their life is never wasted. And he grabs this Reader's Digest magazine, and he says, I'll tell you what the real tragedy is, and reads, Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now, thou, now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, with luxurious rich items and collect seashells. That's tragedy. He told the crowd, 
It's a bit strong that Piper's saying, but he's making point. And Piper goes on to say this, students, I have 40 minutes to plead with you. Don't buy it. With all my heart, I plead with you. Don't buy that dream. As the last chapter, before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account with what you did, here it is, Lord. Here is my seashell collections. Do you want to live like the retirees? Run hard for Jesus. We learn from you. Our young men and women learn from you. Don't teach us American dreams. Teach us eternal dreams. Help us. Way you run hard for Jesus, motivate us, compel us to run hard for them. Don't embed in, in our hearts, oh yeah, after I work hard, it's not to kick back and relax, do nothing. But no, run hard for Jesus. Remember eternal things. Because when you focus on the ephemeral things only in your final days, in your deathbed, you'll say, what have I done in the last 15 years? Who am I? But run hard for the eternal truth. Know deep down in your heart. Every time I read this letter, how Apostle John ends the letter, First John, very last verse, dear friends, keep yourself from idols. I always thought it was a very daunting ending, but now that I really examined it, it makes sense. Really know and believe there's eternal truth. That's how you can gain Christian confidence today where you are. Live in light of what Christ has revealed himself to you. Good doubt can propel you forward while bad doubt can peril you backward to these ephemeral things only. Where are you? Second reason for Christian confidence is a prayer life. Read 14 with me. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Another reason for Christian confidence is that you have this glorious prayer life, church. What connects your present life to eternal life? is your prayer life. Jack Miller, who was a pastor at New Life Press in Jenkintown, I think passed away about 15 years ago, used to say he can tell a lot about a person's relationship with God by just hearing them, how they pray. He said, I can tell whether that person is in speaking terms with God. Are you in speaking terms with God, church? We have this confidence that we can approach him. The Welsh poet George Herbert once said, prayer is like a reverse thunder to heaven that we can pray before him he hears us we cry out our desires our longings our burdens that he hears us church do you know that you can approach god anytime you have 24 access to our god 24 access that's an incredible thing not only even god you have very limited access to king if you remember old testament in order to approach god you have to risk your life for that even when you approach the king, if you read the book of Esther, the king's wife, queen, had to risk her life approaching the king. If I die, I die. But we, the believer of Jesus Christ, now can approach the Father 24-7, unlimited access. Why? Because he's not only our king, but he's our father, and we are his children. Only child can approach king like that. Tim Keller once said, only a child can wake up king at 3 a.m. for a cup of water, and we have that kind of access. Do you believe that only a child can wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a cup of water, and we have that kind of access to our Heavenly Father through the Son by the Spirit? I love you, Chelton, but if you call me at 3 a.m. for a cup of water, Pastor, can you give me a cup of water? I'd be like, 
What is wrong with you? <laughs> you can do that yourself, but you have better God. Okay, I better be good here. So I, I say, so if you need any help, Chelton, actually, please feel free. Anytime, please. <laughs> Anytime, whether it's 2 a.m., 1 a.m., just feel free to pick up the call. And then feel free to call Bill or Shep, not me. <laughs> but you have this unlimited access to our Heavenly Father. Do you exercise the, this glorious prayer life you have before him? Verse 15, what does it say? And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Now, this verse surely sounds like, oh, whatever I wish for, God is like my genie. God, I want Lamborghini. My Honda Civic just will not cut it. Can you give me? Is that what this verse is saying? No, I think not. I recently heard a podcast by this famous YouTuber. He's not a believer. In fact, one of the troublemaker YouTuber. He says this, I wish for the best life ever. I want to be the best YouTuber on the planet. I am speaking my thoughts and desires into existence. I'm a big believer in manifestation. And his friend responded by saying, some people call that prayer. And he says, right, it's the exactly same thing, manifestation and prayer. Why bother to tie with faith when there is so much baggage in it? It's really prayer-like manifestation. You dream and that everything will come true. God, I don't have enough security deposit in my account. Three million, boom, manifestation. There it is. No, absolutely not. That's why we need to read the Bible in, within its context. If God didn't answer every prayer request of Jesus Christ, let this cup pass away from me. But his will was done to him. Likewise, what does he say just a verse before in 14? This 15, God will give you whatever you ask is conditioned by verse 14, which is according to God's will. When your prayers in light of God's will, whatever you ask, have confidence that as if you have already received him. Sometimes you will not like what is in light of God's will. Sometimes God decides to expand his kingdom through prosperity, but also through poverty. Sometimes through health, but sometimes also through your sickness. But do you really believe that when you ask things according to God's will, he hears us and he answers us? Have this kind of confidence today. What connects your present life to your eternal life is your prayer life. Do you come to the Father through the Son by the Spirit today, church? Take time to be holy. Pray before him. Apart from that, you are constantly drifting and won't even know where you are. Read verse 16 and 17 with me. This is perhaps one of the hardest verse here in this section. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. This is the fourth and final discussion of Apostle John about sin and believer's life. And if you read, remember, very first chapter, Apostle John said, if you're a believer and you said you're without sin, you're a liar. In chapter 2, John goes on by saying, hey, our Christ Jesus died for you. Now, believe in him. There is forgiveness of sin when you believe in him. Live in light of the joy and gratitude he has given you through forgiveness of your sin. 
And in chapter 3, John went on by saying, your life in sin and life in Christ is incompatible. Choose Christ this life. And then finally, he ties the sin with the prayer life by talking about the power of intercessory prayer. Church, don't just pray for yourself. Here, John is saying, if you see any brother or sister who are wandering away from faith, pray for them. Lift them up. Even in our church here at Shelton, I believe there is a prodigal's group. The parents gather, gather to pray for those who have wandered from faith. Church, take time to pray for those who at the best living nominal Christian life, after they trusted Christ, they've wandered away. Pray that the Lord will bring them. Pray that the Lord will cause them to repent today. There's power in the intercessory prayers. Do you only pray for your needs, your agenda, or do you really pray for the church, the whole being? We just said yes to raising these children through the parents' dedication, parent and child dedication, that we commit our lives to pray for them, walk alongside them. Likewise, pray for your church family who have drifted off, that the Lord will restore them. That's what John is saying here. And what is John saying after that? There is a sin that leads to death. What is he talking about? Is John talking about like the Old Testament that says, hey, if you commit certain kind of sin, there is a capital punishment. You get killed for that. No, certainly not. What John is saying here is that he's writing this, writing and imagining these false teachers who, in John's mind, is not an apostate, but actually a counterfeit. They actually never were Christian even from the beginning. They were just a false teacher who pretended to be Christian with talking the talk, but they never were believers. In fact, Antichrist just trying to lure those people away. They denied who Jesus is, and they never put their trust in Christ. And for those, there is death. Uh, there is a punishment for that. Those who deny Jesus who he is. And John is just saying that for those, there is death. For those who believe in Christ, there is life. But for those who denies Jesus Christ as their Savior, they lead to death. So how is your prayer life today? Are you like the counterfeit who is talking the talk, all the fanciness, but within your heart, your heart is wandering away far from God? Or are you in speaking terms with God? Go dare to wake up a king at 3 a.m. church. You have that kind of unlimited access to our Father through the Son. See, one of the main reasons how we can have this Christian confidence is that we have this eternal life. Jesus Christ died to secure the life for us. Wrestle with your honest doubt. That will propel you forward, believing in that, examining this faith even deeper. But when you make all kinds of excuses, spiritual sluggardness, spiritual drift will make you really doubt even about who you are. But what connects your daily life to eternal life, to cultivate your faith, to believe in this eternal life is lifting yourself up in your prayer life to the heavenly sin. You get to foretaste the glimpse of heaven through your prayer. That's how we can gain Christian confidence today. But is that all there is? Is that all about how much we believe in eternal life? Is that about piety, how much we can pray? No, there is the third and the glorious hope that John gives in verse 18. He says, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. 
more than how much we believe in God, eternal life, more than how much we pray, the true confidence that we can have as Christian is that there is eternal security, that no one can harm us, even the evil cannot harm us. Jesus died to secure the eternal life for us and for all those who are in Christ. It is God who contend for us. It is God who fights for us that will safely lead us home. That will give you confidence and rest of your heart. Church, isn't that tiring? Jen, I've tried, tried, tried. You have no idea how hard you tried. Yes, I'm glad you fight for your faith. Please do it. But know in the end, your true confidence does not lie on your zeal, does not lie on your piety, does not lie on your hard work. But more than that, it is God who fights for you. No evil can even touch us. One who is born of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord himself, will keep you and carry you home. Do you know Jesus, church? Evil cannot touch you. Death does not have hold over us. What is the greatest consequence of evil? The death. We will all die. But when you remember Christ, death does not have hold over us anymore. I'll end with this. Donald Ray Barnhouse was a pastor in down Philadelphia in 10th Press. Um, he lost his wife in rather young age at late 30s with cancer. And on the way to funeral, he's trying to explain to his children about the life and death. They're, he's trying to make sense to his children about what death is all about. And then also while they're driving, this huge truck passed by their car on the way. So Donald Ray Barnhouse speak. Hey, child, would you rather be hit by a truck or the shadow of the truck? And the child responds by saying, of course, a shadow of the truck. That's right. When you know Jesus is your Savior, even the death, you're only hit by the shadow of the truck because our Lord Jesus Christ was hit by the ultimate truck on the cross of Jesus Christ. So it is the He, it is He who fought for us on the cross. It is the He Jesus Christ was killed by the evil because he was plunged into the eternal death. For us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, we know eternal life. It is he who fights for us. And in the end, we don't get hit by the real truck, only by the shadow of the truck. Death does not have hold over us. Evil cannot touch us because our Lord and Savior Jesus fights for us. Do you have this confidence in Christ alone today, church? In the end, yes, fight for your faith, examine your heart, pray before the Lord. But as much as you do, look up, look up, child. Look up to the cross, children of God. Look up to what Jesus Christ has done for you. It is he who has saved you, and it is he who is fighting for you. Let's pray together. God, I lift up those who have drifted away among us. Speak to them, O Lord. Bring them home, we pray, as a church body. God, speak to us. Sometimes we are drifting, not necessarily by the false teachers of John's days, but false teachers of our culture nowadays. We just want comfort. We just want security. But, O oh Lord, I pray that we will truly treasure this eternal life, even in this ephemeral life. Help us to live this ephemeral life in preparation of eternal life. O oh God, we cannot do that on our own strength. 
So motivate us, move us. We look to you who fight for us, who keeps us safe in your hand. God, will you help us to rest in your sovereign presence today in our life? We commit ourselves to you. May your will be done in us. In your precious name we pray. Amen.